This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Magpies Unrestricted. Ladies and gents, and welcome to Magpies Unrestricted, where we'll be talking all things Newcastle United. As always, I'm your host, Chris Simpson, and joining me today is Cara Thistlethwaite. Hi, Cara. Hello. And we're joining you after the absolute snooze fest that was West Brom nil, Newcastle nil. I mean, what you're on about, that was the clash of the grey-haired titans, Big Sam versus Brucey. I mean, couldn't get any more exciting there. Oh, God. I mean... Oh, just... <laughs> That game. I mean, for an absolute must-win for both teams, neither of them seemed to show any real passion. That that was my biggest problem from it, to be honest. I think, I think Steve Bruce was happy to take a point, and there was just for for far too much of that game from both sides. But Newcastle, I think especially, there was just. Nowhere near enough urgency. There was no real desire to get forward to cause them problems. Certainly after the first fifteen or twenty minutes, which I thought Newcastle did start quite brightly. They were looking to to hit West Brom on the counter attack, and then I sort of after that, I think they'd really just they, they faded, and as you said, just not enough urgency, not enough desire. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Jolington played a little bit better today. He was quite strong for your front, so he'd get the ball and he'd he'd fight off other players. But that's about all I can really say about his contribution to the team. It wasn't really anything you'd want to ride home about, as it were. I said the first fifteen or twenty minutes, I thought he looked up for it actually, and of course there was that chance when he was sort of slipped clean through and then. Uh, tried to square it to Ryan Fraser, which I think was probably the right decision. Unfortunately, the execution just wasn't quite there. But yeah, just after that early period, Newcastle, I think then were just like, just happy to really just sit back and just make sure they didn't lose the game. Now, of course, losing the game would have been disastrous, but I think really that point is is not enough. We needed all three. Yeah, I mean, I think the commentary team mentioned it and, and I'm just going to reiterate it. After that initial period, it just became a bit of a set-piece wars. Corner free kick corner free kick and I couldn't actually tell you what happened on the pitch other than that it was unremarkable I think as he's alluding to the commentary team there I think Ali McCoist probably summed it up best actually on the comms for for Amazon when Clive Tildesley asked him when he thought the game might be penciled in on match of the day and he just said Tuesday I mean I, I can't disagree I think if they could put a picture of some paint drying, it would be a before this match. It was just... Whew. I mean, I suppose we, we shouldn't be too surprised. I mean, these are, are two teams that don't have much quality in the final third. West Brom really don't score many goals. And of course, we know how Newcastle are and how toothless they are without you know, the likes of Callum Wilson, Sam Maximan. Miguel Armoron, as we, of course we've said for several weeks now. So I suppose in that sense, we probably shouldn't be too surprised. 
But that lack of quality in the final third, I think, on both sides was just really evident throughout, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think the issue was that West, both West Brom and Newcastle both had some great counter-attacking play uh, going on there, but just no one could could score. I do think West Brom probably had the better chances. They seemed to be the most threatening for a longer period of time than Newcastle. The best chances were to West Brom, but again, they just didn't take them. There was easily a, a dead on at least two goals for um is it Mbaye uh, he should have done a lot better with the chances he was given uh, I couldn't really say that particularly for anybody in, in Newcastle I mean your top scorer what were two goals Hendricks yeah and I think the tweet from Daniel Story a football writer um, that I follow on Twitter before the game that uh, Jeff Hendrick was the top league goal scorer in Newcastle starting 11 with two goals and he had had one shot on target since the opening weekend which I think completely sums up Newcastle in front of goal especially as I say without those key players and as you said I think I think once or twice Newcastle probably did ride their luck a couple of times there were you know one or two moments where West Brom would get in a really good position and then basically just sort of maybe panic a little bit and just blast it over. I think overall, probably a point was probably a fair result. But as I say, really not good enough. No, I mean, I thought Kraft was played quite well, actually. I, I thought he was he was very good in your defence for Newcastle. But I mean, what last time they met, met, there was a goal within 30 seconds. And as soon as the game started... I w- thought I would be absolutely blown away if there was the goal in the first half and then in the first 90 minutes and then maybe in the next time that they played each other and then I thought there would be no goals and then I thought there would never be any goals a- and then I just lost the will to live by about the 30th minute. I mean, he, as a spectacle, it, it was it was pretty dreadful, to be honest. Um, I think what really annoyed me as I said to you during the game, was, all right, Steve Bruce, okay, he brought Dwight Gale on after sort of about 57 minutes or so, and then and then that was it. He didn't do anything else to try and change the game for Newcastle, which is why I think he was happy for the point. I mean, this really infuriates me. He, he brought Andy Carroll on in the 93rd minute with about 20 seconds left to go which was just enough time for him to come on and give away a free kick. It's not even like he brought him on because we had a corner or a free kick in a really promising area. It was almost like he brought him on to waste time. And that really annoyed me because I think it's a bit of a pattern with Steve Bruce where so many times he just seems so reluctant to make a substitution that could change a game. Now, as we know, Newcastle, as we've said a million times, you know they don't have their key players it is difficult. Andy Carroll isn't necessarily a player who is going to massively change a game, but equally, you know, he does have something to bring to the party. He can give you that bit of an outlet at front, which Newcastle were lacking, a bit of physical presence, a bit of aerial prowess, and he could have made a difference if he'd have come on, you know, after 60 minutes or after 70 minutes with a decent amount of time to actually try and aim for him in the box, get the ball to him, Maybe he could have done something. And Steve Bruce just brings him on literally in the final seconds. It was a perfect match for Carroll. It was all about set pieces. He's a big, strong player. All he has to do is make a mess in the box. And that could have been enough for the ball just to trickle over the line. 
he should have been the 57th, 57th minute substitution. And then I know we're going to talk about this in some more detail as well, but bringing Dwight Gale on, what about Matt Ritchie? He's proved to be a slightly better player than Dwight Gale. And I know we're going to come on to the reasons for this, but it just, it just wasn't, yeah, it wasn't good enough. There was no urgency. There was absolutely no desire from the manager, it seemed. And the team seemed to be completely deflated. Yeah, I mean, it was just, Steve Bruce seems to just think that the, you know, a steady accumulation of points is what's going to do it. Now, obviously, in a very literal sense, that that will be what determines whether Newcastle stay up or not. But this is one of those games but you, you had to win. You, I'm, no yeah. offence, but Newcastle aren't going to get those points against the likes of Man City, Man United. Liverpool will suddenly become a team again and defeat you. No, you know, no offence. I, I mean, just from a negative point of view, being as um, a secondary Newcastle supporter... I couldn't see Newcastle. I don't have faith that they will beat Liverpool, even in the state that Liverpool are in at the moment. And their loss to Fulham, which really hasn't done you any favours. It's just, I'm I'm struggling to see light at the end of the tunnel. You're absolutely spot on. As I say, Steve Bruce, he wants this sort of steady accumulation of points. But that's easier said than done when there are still quite a few really difficult fixtures left to play. As you said, the likes of Liverpool, Man City, play Leicester, uh, we still play Tottenham. There's lots of difficult games still to play. Coming to the team like West Brom, a team that have won three games all season, that is one where you have to be targeting three points. And plain and simply, Newcastle went there and no matter what they said after the match... Bruce was clearly happy to just take the single point. And as you've said, with Fulham, great result for them, of course, but bad one for Newcastle. With their win at Anfield over Liverpool, Newcastle's point, sure, we're above Brighton now, but we're now only one point clear of the drop because Fulham, we could have had a four-point a four point gap on Fulham. Mm. And, and we don't. And... As I say, that is going to be a massive problem going forward. And of course, it makes that game with Brighton in a couple of weeks even more crucial than it already was always going to be. Well, every game now is a crucial game, isn't it? Every game is that title game. How many seasons have you had to say this? Every game is now almost a title game. It's that important. And I mean, on the positive side, Newcastle always do seem to pick up against the bigger teams. So I can see them playing better and with more purpose against the likes of Liverpool, Tottenham and Leicester. And as you say, Liverpool aren't doing great. Leicester are on the same downward slope as well. You've just got to hope that other Premier League teams, their substitutes and their team is being diminished, just like Newcastle's with injuries. But the likes of Fulham, West Brom, Brighton, they don't have that issue. And at the moment, they're the ones who are threatening you. So no matter, let's say you win all the big games, if the teams below you win all their big games as well, it's too, it's too, too fine, too fine a margin. There's 11 games left now for Newcastle this season, and they're on 27 points now. Last season, 35 was enough to stay up. I suspect Newcastle from their last 11, they will probably need at least 10 points taking them to 37 to stay up. And yeah, that's those 10 points are going to be very hard to come by. And that's why I think 
Sunday's game was such a massive missed opportunity against one of those teams who really everyone should be looking to beat. As I say, they'd only won three matches all season. They had the worst, they've got the worst defence in the league. There was no real reason to go there and, and be scared of them, even if they had picked up a little bit in recent matches. So it's it's not looking good, I think. It could go either way. It's, it's going to be difficult, but as a Newcastle fan, I am naturally pessimistic. And But I feel like this is now coming over into the team because, yes, there are potentially busts up all the way around in every single Premier League team, championship team, any sports team, there's always going to be some form of argument. However... This Matt Ritchie training ground bust up just, it just seems like it, it is, yes, it shouldn't have got out to the press first off. Okay, so that, that is, that is a problem. However, it just seems like Brucey is now deflecting the issues of the team and blaming a player who he sent on who probably didn't even be given the time. I'm half expecting that, you know, if, if you had lost that match, so if Newcastle had lost against West Brom, he would have gone and blamed Andy Carroll for not communicating um, a formation change in the last 20 seconds. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, as you've just alluded to, of course, this is the the big story from the training ground last week, which was Matt Ritchie and Steve Bruce having a bit of a set to after Bruce, well, I mean, really sort of hung him out to dry in his, in his post-match comments when he, he sort of said Ritchie hadn't communicated a, a sort of formation change and that he sort of blamed him for Wolves' goal. And, and that then, was just a catalogue of errors. It's quite blatantly to see that that was a catalogue of errors which led to that Wolves, Wolves goal. I don't know what Richie's meant to do. Is he meant to hold the hands of everyone on your team and tell them where they where to go at every second? That was just individual mistakes that led to a goal. And to blame that on Richie, yes, he might not have communicated something, but he's not the reason that you conceded a goal. That was just bad defending and a lack of concentration. I actually think it was Willock that was at fault there in the build-up play towards the goal. And obviously, it's not Willock's fault either. As I said, it is a team effort, but that formation change wouldn't have affected that. I, I completely agree, really. I think him naming Richie as being responsible for that goal, I think, was was pretty poor. It's deflection. It's deflection. He's scared that he's going to lose his job. Yeah, and obviously it led to this row on the training ground where Matt Ritchie allegedly called Steve Bruce a coward, I guess in response to his comments, and then they had a bit of a heated confrontation in supposedly, or reportedly, Steve Bruce reportedly shoulder-barged Matt Ritchie. Now, and could you imagine being on the end of a Steve Bruce shoulder-barge? It's like a steam train. I mean, good Lord, I mean... I'm I mean, surprised Richie's probably injured. That's why he didn't play. I mean, I mean, I imagine you know back in his centre back days. I mean, I imagine Steve Bruce was dishing out a few shoulder barges. But I mean, there's a, <laughs> to be fair to him, you know, there's, there's a fair bit more weight that he can put behind it now. He's more like a rugby player. <laughs> and I mean, Steve Bruce, you know, he, he he came out and he said that you know they'd put it behind them. He said Richie had apologised in front of the players and staff, and then had trained well, but. I mean, and whether it had much of an impact on the game, I don't know. Because in my opinion, as I say, I think the whole team and the manager were just happy to turn up and get a point, which was, as I say, very disappointing for me. And me, and, and literally any other supporter. As an outsider, it would be disappointing because the game was dull. For me, who obviously has a stake in this, just Newcastle just 
could have done and they have been so much better in recent games why not continue that yes you don't have the players that you would normally start with but lots of other teams have that lots of other teams have that issue is it a problem with the depth of your team probably you have a lot of defenders your defense is quite good when it's organized but still, it's it's not an excuse to turn up and not and and them appear to not want to be there or to not want to win. I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter what your squad is, how expensive your squad is. But if your team doesn't appear to want to win, that's going to be a major issue. And and there's no excuse for that. Doubly so in the situation that Newcastle are in right now, where every point is critical, every win is critical. To, to not be going out there and trying to to get all three points, especially in a game like that against a team like West Brom, is it's it was really, really disappointing to see. And just on the other sort of the other sort of major story actually, again sort of coming from the training ground in the week was that uh, someone at the club uh, apparently leaked news that Carl Darlow was going to be dropped for the Wolves game. Before he'd been told of the decision, uh, obviously Steve Bruce has come out and denied that it was him, and he actually said that he'd rather resign uh, than do that. I'm sure a lot of people would see him uh, like to see him resign. Well, yes, I mean, I'm in some ways I feel like I'm probably in a minority of Newcastle fans in that I, you know, I don't have this sort of enormous amount of dislike for Steve Bruce that a lot of fans do. That that being said. I think throughout his tenure he's shown that I don't think he's good enough. Yes, we finished 13th last year, but there were times last season when we certainly were in the midst of a survival scrap. We're in an even more serious one this year and, of course, one that we may not get out of. I love how being 13th was a good season, though. Oh, we had such a good season last year. We fin- you finished 13th, Brucey. I mean, I don't have to be an amazing football fan to know that you didn't do brilliantly <laughs> it's depressing isn't it and it all comes back of course to the to the Mike Ashley issue which is that since he took charge we've had one good season which was the 2011-12 season when we finished fifth and that was the one good season that we've had we've had a couple of top 10 finishes here and there mostly we've either been bottom half or properly well either relegated or really battling relegation for most of that time I mean it's a shame because it's not just um, the finances obviously your your finances you are a well managed club in that sense but it's not being used to improve the team and it's just such a shame Newcastle is such a big name in football it is a club that is one of the oldest in the Premier League You've been in the Premier League for an extraordinary amount of time. The huge amount of successes you've had in the past. And now it just appears that they're happy to muddle. Happy to muddle around in the the bottom half. And that's fine. When really the capacity for Newcastle to be much higher in the table is there. Your stadium is beautiful. The training grounds are good. You're well positioned in the country. It's not like Sunderland or one of the smaller teams where they have to where they struggle with 
stadiums and, and, and encouraging people to come to them because of the area, there's no real excuse for it. And that's that's been just that recurring issue under Mike Ash. And I think it's why myself and I think most Newcastle fans get so annoyed when certain pundits or, or sort of members of the media and they sort of they question Newcastle fans not being happy with what they've got. And it's like, well, what what is there to be happy about? You are a historic team. Newcastle fans aren't demanding that we go out and win the Premier League. We're not demanding Champions League football year after year. We just want a team that turns up and really gives it a go. I think I said that in our fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, I think I said that in our first podcast. A team that feel that you can feel like they are playing their best. They are giving their all. Because at the end of the day, if your team is doing that and not winning, that is something smaller that can be changed rather than this fundamental slump that you're in at the moment when nobody seems to care. Yeah, I read a great article actually uh, by Simon Bird in the Mirror this week where he was just pointing out that contrast between the pre-Mike Ashley era and of course we're now 14 years into the Mike Ashley era now which is half of our lifetimes <laughs> but just to put this this really puts it in perspective this great and incredibly depressing stat so in the 14 years before Mike Ashley bought the club in 2007 Newcastle had 8 top 7 finishes in the Premier League in that 14 year period they had 10 European campaigns, three of which were in the Champions League. They reached a UEFA Cup semi-final and two quarters. And of course, in the domestic cups, they reached the last eight of the FA Cup seven times and obviously back-to-back finalists as well. I mean, that says it all though, doesn't it? 14 years. 14 years. And this has become the new normal for Newcastle. And it's just shocking. Yeah, well, I mean, again, as Simon Bird points out in his article, in in that 14-year period since Mike Ashley took over, compared with all those top seven finishes and European campaigns, so we've had really that one good season. And on nine occasions, we finished 10th or below. Of course, twice being relegated. And it's just, it's just really, really tiresome. And as I say, we look like we're potentially heading toward a third relegation this season and it's just it's just so frustrating and depressing because the lessons aren't being learned how many times does Mike Ashley need to make these mistakes but it's not I can't even see it being good business I mean yes I'm a Leicester supporter so yes yet again I'm going to use a Leicester example but we are a recently bought team our owners put in some money, not Chelsea level, not Man City level, but yes, we did get some money from them. However, we bought in players like Mares and uh, Vardy, and they were like Kante. next Kante. Yeah, Kante. There's loads, and I've just come completely had a mind blank. But you know, all those players. We then sold for almost 200, 300% of their original value. And yes, we then put some of them in. So we got Maguire and we sold him for 80 million. Yes, we have spent some of that money. We got Perez, also not a 40 million pound player. But 
we got other players to fill in our gaps. Uh, Madison didn't spend a ridiculous amount. But each of these players, unfortunately, you know, if, if we probably will lose Madison, but that he is going to bring in a huge amount of money for us as well. And then we use that to tick over. That's not saying our owners don't make a profit because they wouldn't be there if they didn't. But they're still managing the club in a way that profits both. This is then going to give them huge amounts of money from revenue. They're going to get some money and the shareholders are obviously going to get some money from selling these players. But then they are reinvesting a portion of that to get us. I mean, I I could find a stat. We could find stats, but that's boring. But we could find stats and find out exactly how much money we've made from players coming in and out of the transfer windows as the last couple of years, right? But it's not insignificant. So why is Ashley not following that? And it, I'm not saying Leicester are the only team to do this. No, but you're right to point to Leicester as, as an example because you are one of the best run clubs in the country, plain and simple. Since you were taken over, they've brought you up from the championship. Of course, you had that incredible survival season when you had Esteban Cambiasso. Oh which my is God, it was amazing. Still crazy, and you pulled still off that amazing shirt. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, we all know what followed that and then the Champions League campaign and it's been amazing. But that's been the key, as you said. When when you've sold these big players, as you said, like you, you Kante's, Mares, Drinkwater, Harry Maguire, you've put that money back in the team. You, you've invested in the team, in the facilities, all to great effect. You, you've invested in the coaching staff, and you've got now a team that not only is actually has broken into the top six, and you're now sort of basically a regular top six side. Which again, I'm not even saying I need Newcastle to do that, but you've got a team that's not only done that, but you've just been such incredible fun to watch and to follow. And so they've kind of become something of a second team for me in recent years, and that's that's the difference. I mean, I know it's not been great for, for me as a Leicester fan either to watch them over the last couple of games because we've not been playing the same and we've not had that fluidity. But every time they play or when they train, there never seems to be such tension between the squad as you see. I mean, yes, you might not be able to actually hear what they're saying, but there doesn't seem they don't seem comfortable in Newcastle at the moment. I mean, for goodness sake, even when we had Pearson, probably one of the most terrifying managers in existence, there were still smiles. There was still a lot of togetherness there, wasn't there? Yeah, and, and it, they just seem like a, a good, close-knit squad that always want to play well together. And yes, they don't always work out. I mean, Ayanacho was never um, the best player. I mean, for goodness sake, for the last couple of seasons, I genuinely thought... I, I was really negative towards him. However, this season he has come out and he has played and he can see those links and how he has developed. And that all goes down to our coaching staff and how much they're investing in the players and the players are responding. We go, we've been down 1-0 in the last couple of matches and yet we are still going forward, scoring, winning against Brighton when we were not anywhere near our best. We've lost Lots, well, most of our creative players. We have pretty much a defensive midfield at this moment in time. And yet we're still trying to go forward. And uh, that is not what I'm seeing with Newcastle at the moment. And we're going to need to rectify that fast. Newcastle, they've got 
Aston Villa visiting on Friday. Again, just another crucial game, and it's one that I'm again not feeling overly optimistic about. I mean, Aston Villa are actually they're really good defensively. You know, the, the only Man City and Chelsea have actually conceded fewer goals than Aston Villa's 27 this season. And if Newcastle can't even really cause much trouble to West Brom, who have the worst defence in the league, how are they really going to cause many problems to Aston Villa? It's difficult to see where that's going to come. Yeah. Yeah, they're high-flying at the moment, Aston Villa. They've had a very good season. Their players seem to be clicking. It's going to be tough to break them down because their midfield and their defence is very organised. Yeah, and I mean, Newcastle don't have a very good record against Aston Villa either in, in recent times. The Magpies actually, they've only won one of their last seven games against Villa and none of those were in the last three meetings. I think the one glimmer of hope is that Villa haven't been great of late. Only one win in their last five and they've only scored twice in that spell. Now, of course, that's largely coincided with Jack Grealish's absence through injury. Mm. But... We don't know at this stage. We don't know whether Jack Grealish will play. I suspect, knowing Newcastle's look, <laughs> that he will probably be back for Friday's game. And of course, he's the difference maker for them. And I think it's going to be really tough for Newcastle. Yeah, and we need Grealish's stylish hair to come back. Obviously, just it just looks funny in his hairband. That's all. Um, but yeah, it's it's close. I mean. Yeah, 10 more points you need, I reckon, as you said. At a minimum. And I don't think you're going to get any of those in this match. It's it's difficult, especially if Newcastle play as they did against West Brom. Because if these lower teams below you, like Sheffield United, if they start picking up, it's, it, it's, anyone's, it's anyone's guess who could be there in the last three. So now we've proper dumped on Newcastle. Struggling for a positive. <laughs> I mean, when you've when you've only won two of the last 18 matches, it's hard to find too many positives. I mean, what? <laughs> you need one point for every game you've got left? <laughs> and I mean, that's that's if my guess about maybe 37 points being being enough uh, we'll, we'll is have accurate. To, you'd have to have a proper look at who everyone's playing as to whether or not that's going to be feasible but I mean let's be honest I know you've already presumed that Newcastle are going to get relegated and you've psyched yourself up for that traumatic news um, oh I've been preparing for that psychologically for, for several several months now uh, it's <laughs> not necessarily going to make the inevitable blow any easier to deal with It's but if you're in the championship you might win that's the one plus is that if we get promoted straight away next season, we might actually have quite a fun year of actually beating teams. But of course, that, that worry is always that you're not going to bounce straight back. And of course, it will be difficult to keep the likes of Callum Wilson, Alan Sam Maximan and Miguel Almiron if we do go down. Because not only they are they're our biggest assets that we can sell, you know, they know that they're good enough for the top flight and... There's going to be a lot of teams interested in them, I think, especially... I love Wilson. <laughs> well, he's a proven goal scorer at Premier League level. He's still at a reasonable age. Obviously, he is slightly injury prone, but he's shown that when he's fit, he can do it. I just... Sam Maximan's so exciting. Yeah. You know, Al- Almiron 
He's played really well this season, actually. I'm not to say he was bad last season, but I think there's been a, a clear improvement in his development this season. Um, it's a shame, obviously, he's got injured because he was one of your um, your key players. I certainly think he's good enough for the top fight and he's a player that if he wasn't at Newcastle, I would like to actually see him in a team that does play positively, that does look to get forward because I think he would be a really exciting player. Yeah. But I mean, the other positive is if you do get relegated, which I know isn't a positive, but if Newcastle do get relegated, potentially Mike Ashley might sell you. Well, that's the difficulty, of course, is that the club suddenly becomes worth a lot less when we're in the championship. And again, you'd think that Mike Ashley would have probably learned that if he wants to sell us, the best way to do that is to make us as attractive as possible by having us as a established, solid Premier League team with a good manager and a good team to build on, which he had under Rafa Benitez and we don't have now. But Speaking of positives, this has not really been a particularly positive <laughs> pod, but if you do want to leave us a positive review, that would be absolutely fantastic. And of Please, course, please, because it's getting depressing every weekend now just from watching these matches. Just one glimmer of hope. <laughs> and yes, if you could also find it in you to give the podcast a like, like and subscribe, that would be absolutely phenomenal. Until next time, uh, this has been Magpies Unrestricted, and I, as always, have been your host, Chris Simpson. Thanks, Cara. Thank you. Thank you again, listeners, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.